Well, good morning. How many of you were here last week? Can we just go ahead and get this out of the way? Raise here. Yeah, thank you. All right. You know, like, I knew when I asked that guy to come preach that I was going to regret it. It was one of those, you know, risks that you take. My good friend Andy was here, if you weren't here last week, had a little fun at my expense. But, um, you know, life is full of risks, right? I mean, it kind of fits into what we're talking about this morning. Um, Today, we're wrapping up this series, The Unexpected. We're talking about the liminal spaces between what was and what will be. And how the story of the Israelites, really, from Egypt and captivity and slavery to the promised land, if you study that story, there are all kinds of lessons for us about how to live in desert spaces, in wilderness spaces, in spaces where God provides and protects, but where we're without or lacking something or longing for something. And really, risk is inherent in that journey, um, because risk involves the possibility of danger, the possibility of danger, but great reward on the other side, com- uh, um, you know, potentially. Uh, Pastor Luis and I were talking about risks this week as we prepared for this message. And he said, you know, he told me his story about when he was a young boy and growing up in Costa Rica, they, they had a huge, um, big name televangelist who did a huge rally in the country. And so he got to go be part of the rally and part of the team that was helping with the rally. And he said the, the, the pastor, the preacher, stood up um, to talk, and someone brought him a cup of water that he had asked for. Um, but when he asked for water, I think he thought that they were going to bring him bottled water. If you've ever been in Latin America, the one rule is what? Don't drink the water. Unless you live in Latin America, then you're fine, right? I mean, Luis said that was the water that we drank every day and bathed in and cooked in. And, you know, like the same tap water that he was going to drink was not a risk for Luis. And so he said all of their friends were just kind of chuckling, watching, waiting to see what he would do. And he had asked for the water, so he couldn't really just say, like, no, thank you. So he held the glass of water up. And he prayed for the Holy Spirit to anoint that glass of water (laughs) and to protect him from drinking it. And he drank it. And he said, you know, all my friends were dying laughing because what seemed like a huge risk for him was not a risk at all to us. Uh, You know, so risk is kind of relative to who you are and where you are in life. And some things that may not seem like huge risks to others may, may seem like a risk, a big risk to you. Uh, But I think that we learn lots of lessons, important lessons, in moments where we face risk. Um, What's the biggest risk that you've ever taken in your life? Or maybe what's the biggest risk you've taken recently in your life? You know, maybe it's a job change or a career change or maybe it's a big decision before you. Maybe it's a conversation, I don't know. I asked my wife that. I said, Jacqueline, what is the biggest risk that you've ever taken? Do you know what she said? (laughs) Why why does everybody know the answer to that question before I answer it? She said marrying me was the biggest risk that she ever took. And I, you know, and I said, well, I'm glad that one turned out great for you. Um, no, she actually, she said, I knew you were preparing a sermon and I thought you would like that answer for your sermon. That's how it works at a preacher's house. 
but we, you know, we do. We face risks. We face challenges. We face uncertainty. And, and we are challenged in these moments where there could be great gain, but there is not certainty of how the circumstances will turn out in the end. The people of Israel caught between Pharaoh's army and the wilderness, and the Red Sea is there, and there's a risk, and yet they have to follow. And then they go into the wilderness, and you know, every day is a risk, and they have to trust God's provision over and over, and they don't really do that very well every day. But there's a story in there for us, right? Who are we? We're like the Israelites, wrestling with God in this way. And today we're going to look at three stories. Two of them come from this narrative and then another as well that help us understand risk um, and how God wants us to face the risks that we face, uh, how God wants us to face risk in our lives. Um, Exodus 14, 13, in the middle of this story, it says that God's instruction to the Israelites is the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you, only, you, you have only to be silent. I don't think in this verse the intention is to tell us that we can just sit around on our hands all the time in life. But I think the Israelites, particularly in this story, were at a place where they could not do what needed to be done. And that God was going to provide and do for them what they were unable to do. And I don't know if that resonates with you, but I think a lot of times in life we need to remember that and some, that sometimes that, that, that what we need to do most of all is trust God, because the enemies in life can be overwhelming, because the obstacles in life can seem overwhelming. The first story today is a story of when the Israelites went finally to the promised land after wandering through the wilderness, and they approached the wilderness. It's one of my favorite stories, and they send spies out into the land. And Moses sends the spies to spy out the land. See, uh, it says in Numbers 13, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. This is God's instruction to them, um, to Moses. And so Moses gives them, gives the spies some instructions, a list of things to look for. They've got 40 days to complete their mission. And he says this, go see what the land's like. See whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak. See whether there are few or many. See whether, there is, um, it, whether it is a good land or a bad land, whether they're in camps or strongholds. See whether it's rich or poor, whether there's um, a multitude of resources or not. Bring some of the fruit back. You know, he wants a good report. He wants them to come back with a status report. With, this is not about being unaware of the circumstances, right? He actually wants them to know both the reward that's before them, but also the challenges that they might face. Ever thought about why God even sent the spies in the land to begin with? I think maybe it was a test. Because they come back, and 40 days later, they come back to Moses, and they told him, we came to the land in which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they bring back samples of all that they had found. Then it says, however, they said, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
These are the giant people. These are great warriors. These are great enemies that are much larger than a bunch of ragtag group of slaves. And so they look and they see their giants. And their giants are too large. And so they shrink back from the challenge, except for two. Except for two. Um, Joshua and Caleb. And in particular, Caleb, who in this moment, as all of the other spies, as the other 10 spies are giving this bad report, and, and really it's a realistic report, it's just their response to the report is the problem, right? I mean, they don't lie about anything that they've seen, but they allow their enemies to drown out or to cloud their vision of what God has said and promised. God's promised them this is their land. And so Caleb is different because Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Does Caleb dismiss any of the facts? Does Caleb dismiss the fact that there are large obstacles in their way? But the other men, it says, said instead, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Their fear and their focus on their circumstances cloud their ability to see God for what he could do for them and what he wanted to do for them and to see the promise. They forget the promise of God because their circumstances cloud their vision. Moses and Aaron hear the report from Joshua and Caleb and they're disheartened. But Caleb, and, 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 and in, in the risk of not just what's out there, but the risk, the internal risk, like the peer pressure around him, in, in spite of all of those things, he still says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us, so do not fear them. Do not let the size of your enemies, your obstacles, your challenges in life cloud your vision of how big your God is, is what Caleb says. The scriptures say that Caleb was of a different spirit, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. You see, after this report comes back and the 10 spies come with a bad report, the Israelites are forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years, a whole generation, because their slave identity is still creeping in, and they can't see and trust and take a risk in that moment, and so they don't, they don't possess the land in that generation. But because Caleb is of a different spirit, and I've always wondered, this has been one of my favorite passages, but I've always wondered, like, if I could interview God, or if I could interview Moses, or even Caleb, I've always wanted to interview Caleb. Like, what made him of a different spirit? Because when the Israelites go back, and I don't, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but when they go back into the land 40 years later, Caleb's like at the front of the line. Now, he has to be like 85 years old, and there's all these 20-year-old soldiers ready to go into battle, and yet he's at the front, and he's like, let me at them, right? I mean, he's the old guy, and they're just probably laughing in the background, but he's been waiting 40 years for this moment because he knew what God had promised, all along, and he was ready to step into that risk. As they go back into, into the promised land 40 years later, as a generation has passed away, there's another man, Joshua, who was mentioned as well as one of the spies. 
And Joshua leads the people um, into the promised land, and God promises that they will first, that one of the key first victories in battle that would, that would really set their identity and, and show God's might and his strength and, and ultimately kind of sets the stage for their, their, uh, their conquering of the promised land was the city of Jericho. They go to Jericho and God tells, uh, God tells Joshua to lead the people around the city and they march around the city. Every day they march around the city and, and they don't do anything. If you read the story, like they just march around the city. Like this is their great military strategy. Like, and the first day I think the people in the city, like I've never, I've never really thought about it, but the people in the city are like looking out at them, right, as they march around. And they're a ragtag group of slaves that have been in the wilderness for 40 years and they had to smell bad and look bad and they didn't have fancy uh, military equipment and they're walking around this city and you know they had to be heckling them. You know, like they're heckling them from the city walls, I imagine, and they're like, the first day, they're like probably thinking, what are these, are they gonna scout us out? And then each day, they keep walking. And you have to wonder, like how many of, the, of them in, in, the, in the army as they're walking around the city, how many of them were like the other 10 spies who were like, this is ridiculous. Like we're the laughing stock of this, of this place now. And I wonder if there was any grumbling. You have to think there probably was, but somehow they overcome all of that and they walk around the city for seven, time, seven days and then on the seventh day, they walk seven times around the city and they blow the trumpets and something like an earthquake happens and the walls come down and they're victorious. But they were only victorious because they were able to take a, a great risk in spite of the circumstances. You see, this story mirrors the other story but with a different response to risk. See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. God promises them this victory, and, and, and they seize this victory in spite of how ridiculous it seems in the moment. And there will be moments in your life when it seems ridiculous to take the step of faith that you know God has called you to take. It will be, there will be moments when you look ridiculous to other people around you because you take a step of faith that is not the faith, the, the, not the step, or not, not the expected behavior of the people th of the, that are living around you. And will you still be faithful to God, even in the unexpected, even when you're not sure? There's another story that I love of, of kind of this. It's years later, King David is not king yet, actually, Saul is king. And, and David has, has kind of been anointed the next king of Israel, and Saul's nervous about this, and um, Saul's the current king, and he's paranoid about this young um, warrior. And, and one of David's friends, one of David's closest friends is Saul's son, Jonathan. And so Saul and his men are out in battle. Um, actually, they're running from battle, because what has happened is all the Philistines, that was their arch enemy, the Philistines had, had begun to um, control the land in a way that they didn't have access to a lot of the resources they needed to really be a strong army. In fact, in the scriptures it says that there were no more blacksmiths in the land. And you kind of need blacksmiths to have 
the weapons to have a strong army, and so they're feeling vulnerable. And so it says Saul was in a cave with 600 of his men. And I'm thinking, that's a big cave, amen? Like, that's a big cave. And he's in this cave hiding out, running for his life, and Jonathan is there with him, and it says that only King Saul and Jonathan, his son, are the only two that have weapons because, because they're without. Because, you see, the circumstances don't lead you to believe that they can be victorious. Again, how many times in Scripture is this the case where the odds are against them, and yet will they be faithful? Will they follow what God has called them to do, and will they see a victory because of their faithfulness? So Saul and his men are hiding out. Jonathan and his armor bearer are sitting there, and Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, come, let us go over to this garrison of the uncircumcised, the Philistines, and, let, and it, may, it may be, listen to this, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Do you hear that? Like there's uncertainty even in Jonathan's voice in this moment. Like he's not sure. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for I know that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. It may be, another version says, perhaps, like there's uncertainty. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. His faith is grounded. He knows who he believes in. He knows the circumstances don't really add up. And I think Jonathan's at one of those moments where he's like, let's try it and see what God does. Let's like just take a step because the strategy he comes up with is that they're gonna go out, listen, we're gonna go out, two of us, and we're gonna show ourselves to the enemy who thinks that's a great strategy. You're outnumbered like you would think that a sneak attack would be the strategy, right? I mean, a surprise attack. You know, that's how it works in Hollywood anyway, right? I mean, when we're watching a movie, that's the way it always is. You gotta be slick and, and, no, they don't. They just show themselves. They're like, and Jonathan's like, let's just show ourselves to them. And then we'll invite the Lord to tell us whether we're gonna be victorious this way. We'll show ourselves to them, and if they invite us over to them, then we'll know the Lord is with us and we'll be victorious. Now, I'm not gonna dive into the validity of like this process, but I want you to hear the big, the big idea, okay? Sometimes in life, I do believe that God calls us to do something we're not sure about, and here, here's the risk. The risk is never whether God will show up and whether God can do. Like, you can still have faith that God can do and will be faithful, and yet you can still question and doubt how. You see the difference? There's an important difference there. There's still an uncertainty about how God will deliver. And so sometimes, like just recently, I had this moment where we were facing an uncertain kind of decision. There was not clarity necessarily, and it was a big decision. And, and my response in that moment was, and I just felt like the Lord put this on my heart, was we're gonna pray. And here's what our prayer is gonna be. God, we're gonna step forward in faith because we believe that you've led us to do that. But if this is not of you, then I want you to put something in my way. I want you to close the door, and I want you to make it obvious, Lord. I want you to stop us. I want you to make sure the resources aren't there. I want you to put circumstances or, or conversations with godly people that redirect us away from that decision. But there are moments 
When you cannot know for certain that this is God's path, but if you believe in your heart that God is calling you to do it, and there's still a little bit of uncertainty because it is a big decision and because the implications are huge, and and you say to yourself, I'm not sure, but I believe this is what God wants me to do. Then I would say, that's the kind of prayer you pray in a season like that. God, I'm doing my best to follow you, and I'm going to take a step, but Open my ears and my eyes and do not give me a stubborn heart to follow my own path, but show me. Either bless this direction or take it away from me and be okay, and I'll be okay with that. There are seasons of life where that is our prayer, and this is what Jonathan, I think, prays in this way. He, he says, if, if they invite us up, then we'll know that God is with us, and if they don't, then, then we'll know this is not the will of the Lord. And so they go out, and that's exactly what, what the Philistines do. The Philistines yell out to them, come let us go, uh, or let's see, it, it says that they, they yelled out to him, come over. Behold, and, and, and as they come over, Jonathan, um, said, it says that, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. And we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So they climbed up and they had this great victory. Now there's one little word that's important that's easy to, easy to miss. There's one little phrase in each one of these stories. In each of these stories. So the story of Caleb and the spies. The story of Joshua and the, Jer- and the battle of Jericho. The story... The story of Jonathan and the Philistines. In each story, check out what, what, what it says. There's a consistent theme. Caleb says, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And Joshua says, see, I have given, in Joshua's story, God says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. And Jonathan says, uh, in Jonathan, it says, "Come up." Jonathan says, "Come up to his armor bearer. Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel." What's the consistent theme that the Lord provides in each case? That their their enemies and that the circumstances and that the risk doesn't necessarily add up. But in each case, if they're going to be successful, they're going to be successful because God provided. And you see, when we face risks, when we face challenges, when we face obstacles, when we face enemies with that kind of heart of God, show up and show off in my life, it grows our faith and it allows us to be a part of what God wants to do in the world. Now, you and I, probably not this week, gonna be in military battle, I'm just guessing. It's not gonna be a battle like it was for them. But there's a transferable principle from that battle into your daily life. Your daily life is like a battle and there are enemies and there are, there are forces that are gonna come against you that are gonna challenge you to not walk with God each and every day, to not serve him, to not love your neighbor, to not seek forgiveness, to not make a, a risky decision that that puts you kind of outside the norm of this world. And the question is, who will you turn to? Who will you seek your help from? Will you take the next step by simply trusting God? 
Friends, I want to invite you to do something, even, even to consider something else that's risky. Like the last year and a half, two years, have been weird risks for us. Um, and we don't, I think a lot of us have grown kind of out of the habit of, of just being a part of church, of showing up on Sunday. And yes, while I love that we have a, a digital platform to keep people engaged and so that when you're not able to be here, you can still, and I encourage you to do that. I'm glad for those who are online, but I believe that there's also something important about gathering together as God's people, about being in small groups and serving together. And I think the, the interruption of that rhythm of life, I'm not saying that we're trying to go back, but I think we need to remind ourselves of our mission to, to reach out to the people around us, to invite people. Friends, we have plenty, here's the good news, we have plenty of empty seats. <laughs> you know, there was a day when this place was full every week and, and you know, we have room and those rooms have names. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Take the risk. You take risks every day. Will you take risks for God? You don't realize you're taking a risk every time you get in the car. This week I, I flew um, to meet with a group of pastors where we encourage one another. And so I was flying, we, I was flying into Vegas, okay? Like, <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell you that part because I know, like, but, but there was a, like a, a windstorm in Vegas. I've never been there before when there was a windstorm like this and it was crazy. Like, we're flying in and there's sand everywhere in the air of, from the desert wind and then the, pi- the pilot comes on the radio and says, um, as we land, there are gusts of wind up to 45 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Like, when I got on the plane, I did not consider it a risk. Anybody, like, you, you, you fly enough, you just do it, right? It's a big hunk of metal in the sky. It's always a risk. <laughs> it's a calculated risk, and it's one you're comfortable with because you've done it enough times. And you know, you always know the people that have flown for the first time. Like, you can just see, Right? But what would it look like if we trusted God enough that we got that familiar, like it's always a risk to trust God, to follow him. But what if you flew enough with God that you knew the pilot had it under control? And even when it was a little windy and a little messy and you couldn't really see what was on the ground outside because it was cloudy, and what if you just knew that you were in the right hands? So the next time that you're prompted by the Spirit to love your neighbor, to invite them to come to worship with you, to reach out to somebody who, you know, here's the thing, there are a lot of empty seats, there are also a lot of people that realize they have a need, more so now than ever. And so be filled with courage, friends. Do not be like the 10 spies who came back and only pointed to the enemy, but point to your God. Remember his strength. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mission, for your redemption, for for what you have done for us, that you have saved us through your grace and that you invite us into a relationship with you. And God, there is no No better news than that. And I pray this morning, God, that you would help us. Help us, I know there are people in this room 
right now, there are people online listening, watching that are facing real battles. Battles of addiction, battles of brokenness, battles with the past and identity, battles in relationships that are broken. God, would you help us to see our God who is bigger? And would you help us to take steps of faith? God, would you help us to take the risk that it is always to extend your grace and your love to to give the reason for our faith, to invite. Lord, we think it's a risk, but really, we have the greatest story. We have the one who all hearts are searching for and longing for. We have, we know, the bread of life, the living water. And so God, help us to embody your love and your grace this week, not as perfect people, but as people who are seeking you, who are walking with you and who are seeking to love like you love. So fill us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, fill us with your courage, fill us with a resilient kind of faith that stands in the test of time. And Lord, help us to live it out right where we live, right where we work. God, come and be in us and work through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.